This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. Here are a few quick divorce tips that we provide our clients. Number one, don't move out of your house just because your wife tells you to. Remember, that's your house too. And number two, don't blow through the financial statements that you file with the court. These are key exhibits, and they often make or break your case. And number three, watch the social networking. Expect your wife's lawyer to do a thorough online search. And incidentally, this is a two-way street. Now a bonus tip. Partner with your attorney in assembling evidence. You're one of the two leading experts on your life and marriage. Your attorney needs your input to achieve your goals. And finally, talk to your attorney before taking action. Good luck. Contact Cordell and Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on, online at CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn licensed in California. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without Andy Bailey today. I am, however, pleased to be joined by Bleacher Report's Alec Nathan, who is also a Taylor Swift aficionado, mediocre fantasy football manager, and, for our purposes today, a huge-ass Sixers expert. And as you can tell from that... He is here to talk about the 2017-2018 Sixers. How are you doing, Alec? I am fantastic, especially considering I think when we did this last year and maybe even the year before, we were looking for silver linings and talking about Julia Locafor. So <laughs> we have a lot more to look forward to this year. Yeah, we could talk more about Julia Locafor. Sudafed wants to know, has congestion ever hit you in the face? Does the pressure make it feel like you're underwater? Does it feel like your head is in outer space? Mission Control, we have a sinus congestion problem. Well, there's help. Try new Sudafed PE Day Plus Night for maximum strength congestion relief. So you have help to beat back congestion. Try new Sudafed PE Day Plus Night. Open up. Use only as directed. Uh, we could also not. That would be fine. <laughs> We were just it's it one it's amazing I forgot how long ago this podcast started um but it it is amazing how far the Sixers has come but you and I were talking before we got on the air and this is something that we had talked about we've been trying to do this pod for so long but you know vacations came up but then like the NBA news cycle and the sports cycle just kept happening and happening and happening and it's just so bizarre what the off season has become in the NBA. There is no off season. It was when I first started doing this full time, uh, like I think it's seven years ago at this point. There was kind of like this six to eight week lull. It felt like, and then it was down to I don't know four a little bit. Then it was now. There's just 
there's no downtime. You can always look back and say, well, if Kyrie Irving didn't request a trade or if, if this didn't happen, but you know what? That, that crap does happen, and you just wind up running around and, and reacting to all these different things for what seems like all year. And, and this summer particularly, it, it really only seemed like we had maybe 10 days of, of downtime. Well, and I would say, too, wouldn't you say it started with the Sixers almost? Well, yeah, they trade for the number one pick before the draft. And then draft night, everything starts to spiral with the Jimmy Butler trade, and then we go from there, and then free agency starts. But yeah, I that mean, was kind of, that was kind of it, the finals end. The pick gets traded, they take Fultz, Butler moves, the Paul George trade goes down right before free agency, and then it's just never-ending craziness from there on out. Yeah, that's a good point. I, it, if you don't stop to think about the source of origin, it really was that trade of the offseason. Like it was just it was before the draft. Of course, the Celtics were involved because they're always involved, even when they're not technically involved. I th- that trade might be just a good place to start uh, because it, it was sort of the launching point for their off season. W- w- were you fine with it? You know, giving up, obviously, you know, moving up the two spots isn't a big deal, but you used what could end up being a- another really high end first round pick to get him. Do you think the difference between uh, who, whoever you were going to take at that spot, whether it was Jackson or whether it was Tatum, Tatum himself, was it worth using that as the buffer to jump up to number one for Fultz? It was, I'll say this now because, I mean, I obviously can't see into the future the season starts in three weeks, but I will say right now it was unequivocally it was worth it. Because how, how long have we been talking about them needing to parlay the picks in some shape or form into something bigger, Right. And we knew it probably wasn't going to come in the form of a trade for some huge star because it just wasn't viable for them. We talked about Cousins a little bit in the past, maybe. But with Embiid, it didn't really make sense. This is what made sense. And honestly, they still have picks. It's not like they don't have picks. Like, they're going to be fine. Um, And they were also running out of roster space. You have to make moves at some point, and you have to shoot for it. So, I mean, I'm glad they did it. I think Fultz fits the roster way better than those other guys would have, too. Frankly. It's interesting that that type of consolidation came for a draft pick, though. It, it always kind of seemed like something would pop up where they'd get this fringe star or star that had two to three years left on his deal, and that's what right. he would go all in on. But I, a false, well, you look at having him under team control for when you factor in restricted free agency, let's say between the next seven and nine years, that, that's if, if you believe in him, that, that's a huge deal. Yes. Absolutely. And I would also say, would you say part of the uh, the notion that they were going to trade for someone who is a fringe star, a star, came from the fact that Hanky was coming from Houston when they made the Harden trade? And yeah, there, and it was also— And there was, this, there was this mindset like, okay, you saw what they did. Not that they did this to the same degree or even to that—or rebuilt really at all in that mold, but that's what they did, and that was the approach they took, and it worked. But— yeah, I think that was probably the line of thinking, but I'm just as happy with taking Fultz there because, like you said, you have him under team control for seven or nine years. He can grow with the core. They have Simmons under contract, uh, under team control. They have Embiid. We'll get to that, but they, he's due for an extension. And they have a core that can actually grow together and is now attractive to free agents once they show they can win. It, it was more a matter of we, we get fixated on these teams that have assets, too. Yes. When you're just looking at superstar trades, oh, the Sixers have these picks, and they have shout all out, these different prospects. Especially for assets. 
Yeah, so I mean, that's why the Celtics are linked to every deal. It's why the Suns kind of <coughs> crop up every, every now and again. So I'm not even sure if were was anyone ever really sold on the Sixers making that type of all-in trade for, for an established never... player, or was it just that that kind of perception born from convenience? I think it was born from convenience because how often did their name surface in any legitimate talk for a trade? It was like, all hypothetical. There was. There it might was. have been that and like it, very loose Paul George rumor, wasn't there? I think yeah. it might have come from Liberty Ballers at that point. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was lazy dot connecting necessarily because it had some merit, but it was speculation more than it was anything else, right? I mean, it was there was never anything remotely close that we heard of. No. So that that's fair and i fault is is very interesting to me because it was him and lonzo uh they they seem like they're both going to be really good i just yes. don't know if it's going to be right off the bat i'm interested to see uh whether fault can kind of transition into this role that's going to have him i would assume play off the ball a lot more in philly because even if you stagger his minutes with Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid. There's just there's still always going to be ball handlers on the Sixers, whether whether you're looking at Dario Saric being in the game as well too, so or TJ McConnell if he's to play next to him. So it's very uh, I'm I'm interested to see how he handles that transition. In addition, more so how Ben Simmons is going to to handle this situation because that's yeah. probably the bigger red flag for him is that he was not. Uh, a very good catch and shoot guy when he was in school, and that's not the game he's supposed to be known for. Well, I'd say right now it sounds like they don't. Simmons is not going to be playing off the ball much, if at all, when he's in the game. Right? Brett has been steadfast uh, in his opinion that Brett or that uh, that Ben is going to. He's the starting point guard. He's that not was the other be... thing, really quick. You have Brett was talking about, oh, he's a point guard. He's a point guard. He's a point guard. We're just going to trade these really two important picks for an actual <laughs> point guard. Well, yeah, I think, and that may be, the optics may be a little strange, but, and I don't want to draw conclusions from Summer League because that's stupid, um, but you, we we know Fultz is obviously tremendous on the ball. He's great navigating the pick and roll, but he seems to also be very confident working off the ball. I mean, you saw when he was working off the ball in Summer League, He'd catch. He's very decisive off the catch. He could. He has like a full package of moves already that he can use to get to the rim. He has. I mean, he has Durant's favorite movie is the Hezzy, and uh, he can just put it on the floor. One dribble, two dribbles, whatever. And he's decisive. So unlike Simmons, who I think is going to probably pound the air out of the ball a little bit to start, I think that's probably the natural expectation. I think Fultz is. Pro- he might press a little if he's not touching the ball as much as he would like, but I think he's going to settle into that role really nicely, playing as that kind of combo guard um, and the two guard, kind of in the mold of, I guess, what the Pelicans want Drew Holiday to be, would you say? Yeah, I mean, and it, it'll be I, – I don't know how the Sixers are going to try and use him. I've, I haven't necessarily dived into thinking how the offense will work. The, the Sixers, in a way, are sort of like the Celtics where they have so many options that it's almost yeah. intimidating to try and synthesize this team. But he shot – almost 62% at the rim uh, as at Washington. And so when, when you kind of combine that uh, efficiency, you could see him being, hey, maybe he's this nice off-ball cutter, and maybe you can run this, uh, you know, you can run him from the corners and off these backdoor cuts, and, and perhaps that works. And that's how he stays involved even when he's not, necessar- ne- not necessarily, excuse me, dominating the action. That's a pretty intriguing thing to think about too because if you have him and Redick, running off screens and being these 
primary off-ball guys, and then you have Embiid stationed in the high post and Simmons running the pick-and-roll. Like, that's that's a lot of playmakers to account for. Yeah. They could be, I mean, and I'm not expecting anything to click right away, but they could be, once they mesh, there could be a lot there. And Covington, too, for that matter. I mean, he obviously was, he underwhelmed as a shooter last year, but he could be, if he if he kicks his uh, his conversion rate up to what, the high 30s, 37, 38%, it's another boon for them. Like, they can finally space the floor like a real team. And they rank, they already ranked pretty high in three-point attempts and threes made. Their percentage was just low. I mean, they could actually finally have the makings of a real efficient offense with multifaceted guys in a number of roles. So, right. And Covington shot so well from beyond the arc on such shitty Sixers teams that you could just envision him now that there are better ball handlers there now that you're just going to create more space organically with Redick or or because Joel Embiid can collapse the defense or because Ben Simmons's drives through the soul of the defense really get them into a tizzy you're like well yeah we could just pencil him in for 37 percent shooting yeah I'm, arc. I mean you could station him in the corner and say MB or Simmons is going to run high pick and roll and he's going to collapse the defense and he's practically seven feet tall it's not like he's going to have trouble seeing over the defense and passing to the corner like, and I don't want to make a LeBron comparison, but like that's what makes LeBron so awesome as a pick and roll passer. Like he makes these skip passes to the corner that no one else can see. Simmons can probably see some of that stuff. The, like at, I don't think it's a stretch to say that. I mean, and he is gigantic. And it, again, in in that sense, and looking at what Fultz might be able to do as a catch and shoot guy, and looking what he definitely should be able to do as an off ball slasher, that the the dynamic might not be too tenuous at first. But, like, when you look at the makeup of this, if we're assuming they're going to be able to move forward with Embiid and Simmons and Fultz, like, something's going to have to give on the Simmons front where he's going to have to become, like, this really good role guy and, and function as that big so that he can set screens and work off the ball yeah. in some fashion. And, of course, you want him to have that jump shot to where at least defenses can respect him if he's going to stand beyond the arc while you're watching Joel Embiid post-ups or while Mark Markel Fultz is attacking himself out of the pick and roll because he can't have the ball in his hands 100% of the time. And yeah. I'm not saying he's this non-entity when he's playing off the ball, but if you don't have his jumper figured out or if you can't trust him as that rim runner, um, which which might be awkward for him because he's going to be, what, a small forward rim runner at times, which means that you need your power forward and center basically out of the paint. Uh, it's easier if he's playing power forward. Uh, it's a lot I think, easier if he's playing I think center. He plays, I think he plays power forward. He should. I don't. I would be. I, I, the Brett, like Brett has said, he's going to defend fours when he starts. So I would assume that means he. I mean, I know he's a point guard in name, um, not on the stat sheet, but he will be. I think he'll defend fours and he'll probably. Th- that's why if this, he's off the ball, he's going to be asked to move around in that mold. Yeah, I'm just interested to see, uh, and I don't know how many times I'm going to use the word interested with the Sixers or the phrase interested to see. I, I just want to see how it's going to pan out because something has to give there for him. Yeah. And because to that power forward point, it's interesting that I'm not sure if this is debate anymore, but at the beginning of the summer um, and leading into the middle of the summer, it's it seemed like people were wondering, oh, is it going to be Covington or Sarek who's going to start? Uh, <laughs> if you're putting Ben Simmons at power question. forward, like that's not that's not an issue. Like You're going to start Rocco. Yeah, this is my biggest pet peeve. I don't understand where the Saric start. Okay, Saric had a had a really encouraging rookie season, despite some you know early struggles or whatever you want to call it. But he's not starting on this team. He doesn't make sense, first of all, because what you're going to play him at the three. He's too slow to guard threes, and that also ignores the fact that Covington is 
an A1 wing defender. Like, I don't know if people realize how good he is. I, I don't I don't think they do. And, and that's I'm a sure shame. once he signs his renegotiate and extension or whether they wait till next year to kind of float that smaller cap hold, people are going to be mad at his contract, even if it ends up being like four years and $40 million. They can be mad all they want. You know who led the league in deflections last year? I know you know. Robert Covington, more than John Wall, more than Draymond Green, more than Jimmy Butler. And you know who actually was also in the top ten is TJ McConnell. <laughs> like TJ McConnell is Brett Brown's favorite player. Oh, he was like, and, that guy's a winner. He hasn't played for a team that's won 35 games. That guy's a winner. <laughs> he's frankly his pet project. Like you think about it, you try and project the rotation that you're, it's like, well, Jared Bayless is healthy and, you know, he is, you know, more, he's obviously a better shooter than TJ and he can stretch the defense a little more. And does he get minutes at the one or at the two? And it's like, well, TJ has a role. Because Brett is going to make sure he has a role. So <laughs> doesn't matter so, that he really can't shoot and that Jared Bayless might come in on this team and, <laughs> and pop in 45-plus percent of his three-pointers. We are going to play <laughs> TJ McConnell. You know what, though? And the team likes TJ. Everyone loves him. Like, I mean, he's – and frankly, he's earned minutes. I don't know if he deserves as many as last year, but he's earned minutes. He will be playing over Markel Fultz in crunch time. Can you not? Can you not? Um, I I don't know how we got there, but yeah, the the Sars talk was weird, and just, he he really, especially after the All-Star break, it looked like he was working really well on the ball as a a playmaker. Very well. I just don't, I I don't know, like, I just, I I would not, you want wings, and his three-point shot is just not there, Robert Covington has a better track record, you want to have him and Redick on the court at the same time, especially because... The rest of your starting lineup, assuming everyone's healthy, is going to be filled with unproven shooters. We saw Joel Embiid can step out and knock down the three, but he was a rookie who played 31 games. What if that above-average clip doesn't hold? Ben Simmons is not a jump shooter, and we're just going to assume that Markel Fultz can be at league average. But but will he? he he's a rookie, so I, I don't want to take away what amounts to close to guaranteed shooting from the starting five. And I, I think right. even if you were, even if you viewed Ben Simmons as your point guard and that kind of opened like these additional slots, like you still want to trend in the direction of uh, shooters. And, and Rocco seems like the obvious choice there. Yeah. And I think you can maybe find a lineup pairing that works with Simmons and Sarge on the floor. Eventually, like you said, if you are committed to Simmons as a point guard and you can experiment with different lineups, but yeah, I don't see any situation where I would, start Dario at the three and it's like like I said it's not even about shooting it gets about defense that's true and Dario and Dario's and Dario's a good post defender like he's so strong but I Covington made play after play after play last year on the perimeter against really really good scores too like that guy does not back down from anyone um and I think he also is gonna help he picks up the slack like he can do the dirty work that's not required of Simmons. or Red- I mean, Reddick's a fine defender in his own right, but he takes the pressure off everyone else. You don't need your best player defending the other team's best player. It kind of eases the burden on everyone else. So I don't think that should be overlooked either. Um, back to your other point about Simmons, though, just to close out on that, on his, uh, what we do when he's off the ball. I frankly have no expectations for him as an off-ball shooter this year. I think we have nothing to really go off of. He's never played that role before. I would be stunned if he's take what would you if he's taking more than two spot-up attempts a game. Right. Like, I mean, I, you I mean, right I, now, there's just no not... way to project that and I don't even even if he does, I'm not expecting him to be good. The only thing 
I would like to see out of him because it's clear the book on him is what right now. You go under him on the pick and roll, you give him space, and you dare him to shoot, right? Right. I would love to see him develop some confidence in a little dribble pull-up or like a, just a pull-up jumper from the free throw line. That's all he needs. If he has confidence in that and he can make that at a semi-regular clip, okay. Now you start to unlock some other things. His confidence goes up. Okay, the shot's falling. And you move from there. But I have zero expectations for him as a spot-up shooter. Under 33% shooting on two-point jumpers in college. Just saying. Under yeah, on how, many, on how many attempts, though? The the sample size is tiny, right? Um, it took, like... A, I mean, his his the percent of his shots that were two point jumpers that was almost half of his shots. It was forty five percent of his total three really? attempts. Yeah, huh. I'm, so I'm right not talking about three point attempts. He only he only took three. I think we could take the over um, uh, on three point. He, are the Sixers even going to try and have him shoot threes, or is this just going to be a situation where I mean they're not even going to pretend like it like it's an option? He posted a lot of video this summer. Obviously, everyone's a workout warrior on Instagram. But, I'll still, uh, you know, what the most I love when it was the 2015 draft and Willie Cauley Stein was like catching on video training three pointers. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" However, the counterpoint to that is Towns doing it before his before his draft, and now fair, he's just fair. He's a super. I remember watching that video. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, he's now the Timberwolves' <laughs> best or second best shooter, which should be which should be great for them. <laughs> um. Okay, so it's actually funny we're talking about this. So Derek Bodner just tweeted uh, a quote from Fultz about sharing the court with Simmons. Oh, I actually saw that too. (laughs) He said, it's unpredictable. I feel sorry for teams that are going to have to go against that. I would say it's unpredictable, but it's unpredictable because we don't know what the hell Simmons can do as a shooter. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you have two awesome on-ball playmakers. That's true. But if Simmons isn't on the ball, what's he doing? Right. And that's and how, the big question. Is, is just Markel Fultz comfortable spending so much time off the ball? Like, we know uh, he can, but is he, is he? Yeah, it <laughs> seems, I guess he's totally cool with it, which is, you know, good. But, I'm super into him being a team player. I mean, trust. But what, I'm they, looking, what was his comparisons is, coming out? James Harden, but with possible defense? <laughs> uh, yeah, he got a lot of Harden comparisons. Most, I mean, so we're also like, and this is a stretch, but you, I read in a couple spots, like people compared him to Wade or Ginobili, kind of. I could see, I could all see those Wade. smooth, all those smooth guys with Euro steps. <laughs> that seems to be the common theme. He was, um, I thought he was both him and both, both him and Lonzo Ball were like really tough to find like viable comps. So I thought you had to just like pluck elements from a bunch of different I, players. Like was, I was writing, I was, like, yeah, I, I was writing about draft comps before like the, the actual draft. And I, I, I ended up comparing Lonzo ball to like Jason Kidd If like Manu Ginobili and Russell Westbrook and Ricky Rubio had a baby or something like it was. Yeah. I remember talking about this with you, but I was a little turned off by the Jason Kidd stuff. Cause I'm like, man, that he's such a hard guy to compare anyone to. Right. Right, for how sure. You, how unique I, is Jason Kidd in his prime? No, I think he's too unique. And then even his his post prime was so unique because all of a sudden he's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm going to turn into one of the best three point shooters in the league, except during the playoffs of my final yep. season. I mean, he ranks. Doesn't he rank in the top uh, ten on three point made with, leaderboard, yeah, which you I, would I, never expect? I think with both Fultz and Ball, you can kind of see the patience that made Jason Kidd so yes. good. So, and I think that's 
probably where the comps come from. I think I think that's the big thing with both of them, especially well, especially Lonzo, but Fultz as well, is that he is very, very under control. When he's, he's it's like, it is like he watching looks James so Harden with him, where it doesn't. Well, he's not going very fast, but then all of a sudden, like the play just unfolds and it's done, and he finished at the rim. He also like, what the hell happened? I was gonna say he also has that element to Harden's game where people could say he's like a little sleepy eyed when he's on the ball, and then he gets to the rim, and you're like, oh, oh my god, like where did that come from? He can just explode in a second. Um, and on defense too, like he has a reputation for being just an assassin on chase down blocks. So. We'll see. But yeah, the Harden thing is interesting. I'm probably going to temper my expectations a little just because we never know. And it's always dicey with rookies. They always go through this bumpy transition period. But Especially when you're, I mean, he's essentially going to be playing with another 1.5 high-profile rookies, like whatever you want to call him, Bede, at this point. I know he's been around for three years, but he's played in 31 games. Like, Brett Brown said something at media day. He was like, yeah, the last team to start two rookies in a backcourt and make the playoffs, I think was in the 80s. So he was like, yeah, maybe chill out with the expectations a little bit. Are you calling J.J. Redick a rookie? No, but he Just is – yeah, no, no Brett is effectively penciling in Brett – uh, His commitment to this of playing J.J. Redick at power forward so that Ben Simmons can be in the backcourt <laughs> is is it? Well, yeah, it's funny. We always talked about the Sixers rolling out a lineup of all bigs, and now J.J. Redick is playing power forward. Um, but, yeah, I think – there's going to be a transition period, but I, I think it's promising. You know, I'm just not, I'm not counting on much. Do you know what needs to happen on the nights that Embiid isn't playing, which might be semi-frequent per yeah, Embiid himself? Which he's, which yeah, I was going to say he's admitted that. Ben Simmons just needs to roll out at the five, and the Sixers. Need oh, to I'd let be totally fine. I would be totally fine with that. Like you, so then, you then you out, just you run Roko up to the four. So, I mean, you could play Sarge too if you want. I don't know what the defense. And is then everyone's is. everyone's dream can come true. You can play Sarge with Simmons and Fultz and Redick, and there you go. That lineup uh, would just recount. I mean, I would even consider maybe you throw instead of like Sarge in there. Maybe you just throw Justin Anderson just to like, or maybe even just a little TSC just to go for that little more switchability. I, I, I want think... to see that. I don't know if we will because especially with. Brett Brown being so committed to having Ben Simmons on the ball. I just want to see Ben Simmons at the five lineups. This, really, really this is a minor footnote to what you just said, but I was thinking about it yesterday. I think TLC is due for a uh, more of a All-star niche appearance. Role. No, more, I, I wish. <laughs> more of a niche role this year. I mean, so not only is he, he has his knee tendonitis, so he's going to be a little slow to start the season, but consider you have Fultz, TJ, and Bayless are all getting minutes, right? Simmons is also going to get minutes as a ball handler. You have Redick at the two, and we can say Stauskas is still going to get minutes, even if it's in the 15 to 18 minute range, right? That's yeah, that's fine. He's are there? There aren't that many minutes for TLC. There aren't that. I, how, where are you? There aren't that many. <laughs> there aren't that many minutes for anyone on this team. It yeah, it's realize. such a crowded roster. It's unbelievable. Too, it's, you look at the front court. Look at. Simmons, Sarich, and Amir Johnson alone at the four. And then you have Embiid, Holmes, and then Okafor at the five. Like, you have six guys trying to get four spots, basically. Well, and yeah. I know they have, they have some flex because they can move Simmons around in the backcourt, and that's great. But are you really going to play Sarich with Amir Johnson? I guess if a, Amir has to play the five. Right, and it's it's in every instance, it's almost so complicated to kind of hash out like what like how are they gonna is Jaleel Okafor? They say he's gonna get a chance to play once he's healthy, but will he? And then it's even with so JJ Redick kind of shapes 
you know, TLC and Stauskas' minutes and Anderson's minutes. Like, how much are you actually going to play Redick? I was doing my shooting guard rankings the other day for Bleacher Report, and I didn't put Redick in my top 15 just because he wouldn't have been in the top 10, but he would have been in the top 15. But I just I couldn't be sure about his role. Uh, do we think that the Sixers are really going to gun for the playoff berth where he's going to play 30-plus minutes per night and chuck a ton of threes? And is he going to get any freedom to work off the dribble? Probably not. And what will his defense uh, look like against a Sixers squad that's going to be more experienced on that end than you had with the Clippers? So I, it was just so tough for me to— I, It looks like he's going to be very good in this role, particularly as that high-character locker room guy, but it's so hard to envision, one— if they want to play these young wings, how many minutes is he going to get? And what's his role going to look like on the offense when you have these guys like Embiid and Fultz and Ben Simmons? Like, you're going to be the fourth option again on the floor at all times, where I think in Los Angeles, you were the third coming out of the starting line. And yeah. I think that could make a difference. I would say, I don't know if he, do you think he tops 30 minutes a game? N- no. I, I, I that's why it, I eventually. Okay. I would say the only reason I would say maybe he does or flirts with it very seriously they are paying him twenty three million dollars this season, and I know that was money. And I know that was no. Um, and I know that was the price of doing business to get him on a one year deal and keep flexibility for next summer. And so, okay, you do it. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna play a lot. I mean, and I know he has a lengthy injury history, which does scare his back has flared up a lot in the past. That scares me, but uh, but yeah, I I would feel much more comfortable, frankly playing him heavier minutes at the two and just saying, okay, we're going to shorten the ma- the rotation behind him. How many years have the Sixers rolled with giving like 10, right. 11, 12 guys minutes? Like, okay, you finally have the guys to shorten your rotation. Maybe do that. Like they don't have to be as uh, as a liberal with the minutes. They can actually tighten things up. And I know they have more guys to play than ever who, or more guys who are deserving of minutes rather. But that's part of being a competing team is like you can actually – shorten the you can tighten up the rotation a little and now you have an actual tried and true nine guys i'm ju- i'm just not sure if they could do it because the, like how do you just like nick stauskas is going to be a restricted free agent we just oh you're not going to play him justin anderson's going to be extension eligible are you not and he came over in the nerland i mean, Trader. You not I mean can, we be, play him? can we be frank neither of those guys I, stauskas is not getting tendered no, I, 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 agency, right, so and I don't like, think, and Anderson's probably not here for the long haul either. Well, he might be necessary Roco insurance if you're going to let him hit the unrestricted free agency market. You know, like it's just how do you not? In my eyes, as you look at this roster, and I'm, I'm trying to, I, I mean, like, how do you whittle down the minutes at point guard? Even with if if Brett Brown's in love with McConnell, you're just not going to play Jared Bayless, who's probably your second best shooter on this team. It's just. There, it's a dilemma, and it's probably a good problem to have. I'm just not so sold on the Sixers tightening their rotation, yeah. especially if if Brown has those comments where maybe we should temper expectations a bit. Maybe the East sucks so much that we've kind of lost sight of the fact that the Sixers are still going to experiment, that they are still rebuilding, and that signing J.J. Redick wasn't necessarily a nod toward, hey, we're going all in on this year. We just wanted that high-character veteran who could also perform, and they recognized that if Simmons is going to work on the ball, he needs a a crap ton of shooters around him. Yeah, and speaking of this is a good problem to have, I'm so happy for Brett Brown that he finally has actual good problems (laughs) instead of the bad problems of trying to figure out if he should play, like, Vander Blue and, like, God knows who else. I, there, I mean, Chris Johnson, take your pick of, like, the random process guards from three years ago. But I'm so glad he has an actual roster that he could be happy about. 
he has been put through so much hell. Um, uh, yeah, Brett Brown. I remember I was doing coaching rankings last year, and I I might have put him in like the top half of the league and said or close to it and said he was basically a top ten coach being thrust into like a. a a crummy situation and, and, and people were up in arms. He just seems like once you give him talent, he's going to be uh, a really good coach. And this, and this roster will maybe give us a baseline for that because he does have the talent to kind of get creative and we'll see how inventive he'll get with some of his lineups. And I'm very interested to see where I think that you can kind of argue um, maybe the wing rotation sort of works itself out because you have – essentially three different spots to work with when you include point guard and know that Ben Simmons uh, can run there by himself at points. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with like the, the front court carousel, like the I whole have... signing Amir Johnson was, I don't think it was a bad decision. It certainly looks, uh, we could question it in hindsight because why wouldn't you just let the market develop to see like what happens with young players, AKA KCP and whether they wind up taking these one-year flyers or below-market deals, so tying up that cap space in them. But you have him, you have Sarich, you have Simmons, you have Joel Embiid, you have Richon Holmes, who you know that I will cape for until the end of time. Me and too. Jaleel Okafor is probably going to play if he's healthy, maybe, because you want to get something more than nothing for him when you trade him. I, I don't. It's just that's going to be a, – a, a hugely complex situation that Brett Brown's going to have to navigate. And maybe it works itself out too, just because you have the injury risks with Joel Embiid um, and even Jaleel Okafor. But it, it does seem kind of like that's going to be one of the headaches leading into the year. If he's not convinced that he has to tighten up the rotation immediately. Like if he just says, Hey, Amir Johnson, you're going to get emergency minutes at the four and the five, and we're going to roll with Simmons and Sarge as our primary fours and Embiid and Holmes at the five done. That's it. Let's move on. Then maybe that becomes a little bit easier to decipher. Right. Uh, can I make a bold prediction? That's not bold at all. Uh, well, I guess then I don't really, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, there will be at some point this season when this team hits a low, there will be serious backlash uh, when it comes to Brown's coaching or his rotations or something. People were already frustrated for like late game play calling when this team wasn't good. And now they're going to be under more of a microscope now that they're supposed to be improving and make one of the biggest leaps in the wing column. There will be backlash, especially if you know anything about Sixers Twitter. Oh, how do we know he's actually a good coach? This is the first time he's had real players, maybe whatever. Okay. And the book on him, of course, when evaluating him has been, well, he keeps the spirits up. And his team is great, which is 100% true. This team stays together. But there hasn't been a lot of critique of his actual tactical uh, play calling or decision making because they haven't been in that many close games or important games. But now that they will be, I guarantee you it's coming. And fair or not, he's going to be uh, criticized by the fan base. And it's just it's bound to happen. At which... And I'm and I'm already preparing myself for the how do we know he's actually the right guy to lead this team thing and whatever. We can have that conversation when it inevitably rolls around, but I would stick with him for a while. He honestly, he just deserves to see out whatever this process is. He deserves the year. He did. He deserves more than this year. He deserves to honestly let him go for another two, three years through the end of the decade. We don't even know what the core is capable of yet. Let him actually develop these guys. He finally has, I mean, and knock on wood, they're healthy for now. Are they? Okay. I mean, (laughs) Embiid is clearly not a hundred percent, but they the team has said they hope he's ready for opening day so if he does and frankly if he doesn't play in the preseason that's 
fine. <laughs> that just eliminates more risk. I'm fine with that. If you want to sit Simmons and Fultz in the preseason too, that's also fine with me. I want to see all three of these guys on the court come opening day. I don't want to have to deal with uh, grappling with the reality that I have to watch these guys in street clothes for another extended period. So be as cautious as you have to be as long as you run them out there when the games count. Is Embiid going to be ready for the regular season? It was just he came in a training camp, hadn't participated Tom, in five-on-five. Five. I think it was just three-on-three. Three. And it's yeah. he admitted that he's not going to play in all 82 games, which is fine. I get the Sixers are going to take this super cautious approach with him. But it seems like they're being very nonchalant about this. And they're not allowed to be nonchalant when it comes to Embiid, particularly when this meniscus injury wasn't supposed to be all that serious and it ended up ending his season. Well... Colangelo said they've been overly cautious with him this summer. So I think that's why they might may come off as a little nonchalant. I know the team is historically horrible with injury updates and optics. So that is very fair to that it seems like they're being a little that they're casting this aside as oh he'll be fine in a few weeks. But uh I think I saw Tom Moore who's a great Sixers beat writer today say he thinks in his opinion there's a 30% chance Embiid is ready for the opener. So that might tell you his actual where his actual health is, but I mean, I he'll be on the court in October, assuming there's no setback. I'm, hold, which, I'm so I, holding you to this. That's fair. You can do that. I mean, maybe I'm being blindly optimistic. Well, maybe I'm not I just, even. It's not even because you know I don't it, think he will be. It's just the fact. You that know what it is too. I'm just with des- a semblance of certainty. Just boggles my mind. I'm just desensitized to like all of the things that could happen at this point. Like you could tell me. Today, like, oh, he's out for the first two months of the season. His knee swelled up. Okay. <laughs> I would be like, you know what? I'm pissed, but honestly, like, this is nothing new. Like, I'm just, I'm so desensitized to it at this point. I would just be like, yep, okay, par for the course. Let's move on. Let's see what we can, what's, what, uh, what good stuff is there to look forward to. But, yeah, no, I, he'll be on the court. We'll get around to it. Things will be okay. Wow. That is some optimism. What do you do? So, I, listen, it, <laughs> look, at this point, he's good. I, he's transcendent. But just like I, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a bust or that he's not going to be ready. It's I just have such a tough time if, taking the glass half full approach. What good is it going to do me to worry at this point? You know what I mean? That's fair. And you do have Simmons like, and Fultz to kind of right, look forward to. Right, and that's to. what I'm saying. They're, they finally have this good team, and like I just don't have the energy to worry anymore. I worried for three years that they were even going to get the guys to be in this position. So now I'm going to worry that they're going to be healthy. I get that. But, like, I don't know. I just really, really would rather take the glass half full approach. I'm ready to, to this, just. This situation fall. is just so utterly r- ridiculous that it almost makes you forget, hey, Ben Simmons d- did not play last year. That's as what a rookie. I'm saying. <laughs> like, he's healthy. Fultz is healthy, although gave us a scare in summer league like okay hey if Embiid is gonna need a couple extra weeks to get back to 100% where he needs to be fine take that time but I'm not gonna really worry about it after I already saw him come back from this severe foot injury and he was again transcendent when he was healthy whether he I mean what do you think his if you had to send an over under for how many games he plays this year what would it be at 53 yeah I was gonna say somewhere right around 50 would you take – you're going to take the over or the under on that? Well, we know there's going to be built-in maintenance days again because he's admitted that he's not going to play all 82, and that seems to hint at that. Although the team hasn't really outlined a plan, but it helps that the league has scaled back uh, back-to-backs and 
three but they'll probably minutes nights. cap him again so too. i would yeah i would assume he's not topping 30 minutes this year and he's certainly not playing in back-to-backs um I would assume both of those things stay the same. He has never played in 30 minutes a game for his career, correct? I believe that was... Yeah, because remember last year there was a game where they went to overtime. I want to say it was against... Um... Oh, the Knicks game. Or... Oh, well, the Knicks game where TJ hit the game winner, he was right at 30 minutes, and they were like, no, you're out. And he was pissed on the side. Like, he was visibly frustrated, like, punching the chair or whatever. Shout out, um, out Enos Cantor for punching chairs. Um, wait, he was, wait, he, that was the, right? the Knicks game? I, was it the Minnesota I game? Was it... <sighs> his, his career high in minutes is 29 minutes and, and yeah, 39 seconds. I'm looking at that too. There, But he was uh, – what was it? He wasn't on the floor, I don't think, for the end of that Knicks game. So I don't know what that was about. Was that – I mean, that was back in January. Was that when he was st- – no, Yeah, it was, he, was at, he was at 27 minutes in that game. Yeah, I mean it's. Or if they just and he also in twenty seven minutes, I just want to point out he had twenty one and fourteen. And what do you? All right, we get, look, he's. I mean the Sixers played. So the Sixers free. had a better net rating than the fifty three win Boston Celtics when Embiid was on the floor last year. Like, Can you that, say that, that again? Just like that makes me so happy. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> and this is why I can't get that worried. Like I, it's it, yeah, it's like okay, I'm cool with that. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, he, what do you do with we, this though? Is here's. <laughs> Ready and here's the big question. Yes, are you are you giving him an extension? And it's not are you giving him an extension because there's a number you would give him to get this deal done. Now, what what is that number? He's even said the team has all the leverage. And what's interesting is obviously his cap holds almost twenty million dollars next summer. Right, he's not taking less than that. There's no point. Okay, so him. here's where here's where I'm at. It's with 18.3 this. million. They, by they, the they way. clearly have a number, and I'm certain he is not willing to meet them at that number right now, right? He, what, right. Here's here's the here's the blueprint for it. He doesn't want to. He doesn't have a real vested interest in meeting them in the middle, other than it would show he's committed to the team and that he's acknowledging that he is an injury risk, which is obviously true. But it would be him. Essentially saying, okay, I'm going to give you guys a discount because I missed the first two years of my career. Right. Okay. However, if he is banking on being healthy this year and producing, he knows he's going to get a max next summer. And even if he isn't, honestly, if he goes in restricted free agency, say he plays 45 games this year and, again, posts outrageous numbers, and some team throws a max offer sheet at him, are the Sixers really not going to match? He knows they have to. So... Uh, it seems like he can force their hand a little bit by just sitting on this. The the only thing I'll say is that you would think there would always be a team that would throw money at him, even if he doesn't, even if he plays in under fifty games. Right. And the injuries are still a big question. I think there, even if he played in seventy games this year, the injuries would still be a question. the The cap just might not be there, and I I get that he's sort of the unicorn the NBA didn't know it had. But what team is coming in there with that larger-than-life offer to not only risk such a large chunk of his future, but to do so at a position that's becoming progressively less important unless you're a glorified wing? Hear me out. This is in your your interest, too. The Knicks. No! (laughs) Oh, so that, uh, you know, I would want to see the Cantor, Embiid, Joakim Noah, Chris Stops, Willie Hernan Gomez lineup. would be filthy, but uh, yeah, I I mean, what if if Steve Mills just gets a, uh, well, I know 
James Dolan is not involved in basketball decisions because he but I mean, the, as all, proclaimed, the, he is not. He does not know anything about basketball. The Knicks' However, cap space isn't. They're, they're going to have to. Be, sir, I know they're not going to have a lot of flex, right? Yeah. So it's just. I mean, and the Nets, they'll again have flex depending if Jeremy Lin opts out, what they want to do with Devin Booker and all that. But they're not. You the know, they Bulls finally get all their draft picks back. Are they finally going to throw all this money at a center? No. The, the Hawks presumably aren't going to try and expedite their rebuild uh, to that extent. Uh, the Bulls, they they're the just going to have finished up a tank job. Are they really going to do that? It, there's just. I, I mean, the te- a team will pay him, so I don't think. He right. Has that's to what worry. I'm saying. He a team will in, offer him. Yeah, he could play in 40 games, average 15 minutes noticeably regress from his rookie season. He's still going to get $10 million a year from yes. someone would be my guess. But what would oh, be— Oh, he would get more than that. Would he? Way, way more. If than that's the situation— million a year, yes. Oh, my God, yes. Maybe, you know what? I think he'd be more likely to get something like a two-year $40 million deal that's than a, he would that get a long-term fair. deal worth more than 10 So yeah, it's— fair. What is the number, though, if you're the Sixers? And I, I, from their standpoint, I again, I understand being cautious, and we're going to have to get into this because it's not necessarily part of next season, but th- they care about 2018 free agency a great deal. You know his capital is going to be $18.3 million. You, You're going to want a, a good amount shaved off that number if you're going to get a deal done now, particularly because of – his injury history what what is the number for them like it sounds ridiculous to say that you know unless he's going to sign for like four years and 52 million dollars they shouldn't do it but at the same time yeah why the hell not because that you save five million dollars there from his cap hold and if he's only good if he's going to even sign for 16 million at this point yeah maybe you consider it but do you like that's a lot of four years and let's say 64 million dollars he is worth it in a vacuum when looking at his production but if anything goes sideways to where he's just not healthy or he's just for some reason not the player we thought he was last season, that ties up a very big chunk of your cap. Could they do – okay, perhaps this isn't in his best interest and he wouldn't agree to this, but is there a way – and I'm obviously not as well-versed in uh, cap gymnastics as you are, but is there a way for them to structure the deal and they could go – they could go four years or four years with two team options on it or something, like kind of no. like a rookie. Sc- no, they, they, can't they would have two- to be like non guarantees, right? and I don't right. think they would, right. They would have to be non guarantees, and he's not signing that. But they could go three plus one. Right. So, uh, but, but he's not. You know, he's that, not. He's he not might look at that as a slap that. in the face. So, if, right. w- would. what would but you give him right now? You're the Sixers. What would you be willing to give him to actually have this extension hammered out before the deadline? I mean. Okay, so what does Wiggins supposedly have on the table? Oh, Five years, one forty-eight. Yeah, that's God. that. That's what. Also, if you're that, a beat, you're looking at like. And uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. His agent sees that he's like, okay, well, when healthy, and again, huge caveat. We can just throw that in with every sentence about Embiid, but five years. I mean, if Embiid was healthy last year, you'd be like, no brainer. Give him the, the exact same terms, but. Um. I mean, Giannis signed for five for a, or four for a hundred last year. That deal's gonna look so good. So good, I know. I you mean, you know what's the other I interesting thing Embiid about the Embiid is... free agency? And yes, you can say that maybe with the exception of Demarcus Cousins, that he's going to be better than all these players. But there are going to be other quality centers who don't come with the injury baggage that he does on the market next year. Brook Lopez. DeMarcus Cousins and Nerlens Noel. It's amazing that you just said Brook Lopez and Nerlens Noel don't have the same injury baggage. Because those guys both have 
tremendous. Right, I mean, but Nerlens Noel showed that he can kind of stay on the floor. Oh, I know. They, I know, but it's just funny that those guys, by comparison, but Brooke Lopez are... had foot issues too. Yes. I the mean, same ones Clint, as Embiid, right? Yeah, Clint basically yeah. similar. Clint Capella, Yosef Nurkic are restricted free agents. Lucas Nogueira, who I think is underrated. So I'm not obviously Embiid. I, I think Demarcus Cousins is the only big man that I mentioned that would might have the higher ceiling than him. If not, right. does have the higher ceiling because he's healthier. I, there are other centers to pay that you would be able to give them a contract and know, hey, they're going to be on the floor. There's just so much risk in trying to make that switch and letting him walk Con- injury concerns included. And like I just, he's also, here's the other thing. He's the face of the franchise. You're really not going to bring him back at whatever it costs. The TJ McConnell is... slander here is off the chart. <laughs> he is. I mean, let's, let's be real though. Right. He is, he is everything. He's the front face of this. T- like he's the f- public facing. Like, persona of this team he's everything he coined the freaking process thing well no he didn't but tony shout out tony he roten took on the coming. nickname tony wrote tony roten first said trust the process but <laughs> but joel made it popular so i mean yeah he's coming back it's just a matter of what the terms are and if they can meet meet in the middle now as opposed to coming well, back at terms that another team possibly dictates uh next year well, so I guess here are my two questions. What are what is the what money? So let's start here. What money? Since you've danced around this god, <laughs> sorry, what, it's how real much money hard are you to come willing to give him right now for in an extension? If you're the Sixers, not what not what do you think he necessarily like? What is it going to take for them to be to say we're going to do this extension right now? How much would I personally feel comfortable giving him? Yes, you're the Sixers general manager, which you might as well be because I don't really trust Brian Colangelo all that I much. Trust him, I trust him more than myself. I go off emotion way too much. You do. This is true. <laughs> if it was up to me, Okafor would have been cut long ago and they would have absorbed the cap hit. Um, $85 million. Wow. $90 million, yeah. I, that's honestly the number I keep coming back to. I mean, TJ, you said 50, you came to 52, TJ Warren just signed for $50 million. Like, come on. <laughs> let's, let's, I understand we have to take the injuries into account and it's unavoidable, but like, let's have some perspective on the talent golf. But you're, you're including, Nerlens had a torn, Nerlens has, has had knee issues every year he's been in the league practically. And he got offered $70 million by the Mavericks last, uh, over the summer. Right? Yeah. And I understand those are not as severe as Embiid's foot injuries, but $70 million. And, and let's be clear, Embiid's foot injuries didn't surface last year. It was the meniscus that ended his season. The other stuff was maintenance days. Right? So he hasn't shown that he's particularly uh, vulnerable to a setback with the Jones fracture. It's more that he has this – he's injury prone, right, which is the thing you never want to be. But Nerlens is pretty injury prone himself, and he had seventy million dollars on the table. And I think we can all agree Embiid is about three times the player Nerlens is, especially offensively. Like I, they're in different yeah, strategies. I think three times is yeah, probably doesn't do enough justice. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I would flirt with a hundred million dollars. I know I just said eighty-five, but now that I'm putting it in that perspective, yeah, you bump it up to a hundred. I, it just you have to look at the, what uh, what everyone else is getting, and I know you said what would I feel comfortable giving, but frankly, yeah, I would feel comfortable giving that. 
Now, what would it? What, so the second part of this would be: what would have to happen this year for someone to give Embiid a four-year? He they don't sign him to an extension, right? What would have to happen this year, four year max. for someone on another team to give him a four-year max, well, but the Sixers would, not match it? Well, <laughs> no, no. Honestly, like, it, what if he would have to not play in a game? That, that's that's the that's a, that's that is what would have to happen. You have to not play in a game. Well, I mean, the other thing is they can still sign him to, if. Correct me if I'm wrong, but even if they don't sign him to an extension now, can they sign him to a five-year? They can still offer him the five-year in next July, right? Right. So, but, okay. So, uh, yeah. So if if that's what you're again, if that's what you're saying, um, there's no there's no incentive to him signing this extension now. And, right. and that comes back to what I said. at twenty million dollars a year because which they shouldn't do because his cap holds eighteen point three million. Just work with that little extra flexibility and you and now you get the extra year to evaluate him in case anything goes seriously wrong because if it's really I'd, i i i don't disagree with you that they would basically match anything that comes through the door unless he for some reason doesn't play at all this year and if that's the point that we're at where there's nothing that could reasonably happen for them to look at a four-year max offer from another team and not match it then you, if you're him you might as well wait uh, right. unless and they're coming close back to, to that now Right, that comes back to my original point. He has it's crazy to say that a guy who has played 31 games has all the leverage, but the market is going to dictate that he has all the leverage. So I mean, it's in his best interest to wait. I don't what do you think uh, if you if you had a best guess what would you say the Sixers number is that they have in mind? This is obviously pure speculation. I think but. I think 6 between 15 and 16 million would be their limit on what gets it done now. And I, I, to me, like you're saying that, 15 over four. No, no, fi- per year. Over, so I'm, I'm just. So, so you're saying five years, seventy five million dollars, something like that, for, like four sixty four. Like <sighs> that would be, for me, just he's worth so much more. Like, Imagine Embiid is signed to a contract that looks better than the deal Mozgov signed with the Lakers. And that's what makes this so ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, like that, yeah. And it, I know the cap. The, I know that that was a unique circumstance with the cap spike, and things have flattened out a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you have to figure his agent is marching in there with numbers for other big men, and he's like, "Listen, <laughs> we, we are not settling for the less." One thing than I will say is that those 2016 deals kind of have to go out the windows by comparison. It, the agents aren't gonna, but like teams have to look at him and be like, "Like, bruh, like, no." They do, but the the optics would just be context context ignored because we don't use context in this day and age. But it would just be hysterical to be like, well, Embiid got five for seventy five, and Mozgov signed. What did he sign? Four years and sixty eight or whatever. Yeah, it was four and sixty four that he. So he could get the exact same money as Mozgov, but that (laughs) for for what we know, he's so transcendent. I just don't know whether you can justify a more expensive dice roll and. If you don't again, it's not an insult to say that the Sixers should not sign him to an extension unless he's averaging fifty or sixty million dollars a year. It's just saying they might as well wait if yeah. that's if they're going to have. I to think pay more than that. Right. If I honestly waiting is probably in the best interest of both parties. Embiid can try and prove he's worth the full max, and they don't have to pay a guy who might not play this year. Okay. Well, I just said he is going to play, but he's going to play. But as we know, there is an inherent risk here. So. Um, it's just, a guy who is going to have his minutes limited again, and you want to see him bounce back from a not so insignificant knee injury. Now, what do you, 
what do you think is going to happen with Rocco? Do you think he's going to get the renegotiate and extend? Because it seems like it's been I think such it would a be, formality. Um, it would be really nice if they could get that done now. Right, and just so, yeah, but at the same time, it's a, just because they signed those one-year deals so soon with Reddick and Johnson into free agency, going into free agency with that, like you know, scant cap hold for Robert Covington, who's only making he's making under one point yeah. five million dollars this year. Like going in with that uh, cap hold, and then having all your cash base. I mean, the Sixers are going to be able to probably, I'll say, because if you if you renegotiate and extend Covington and he gets twelve million dollars a year, that's going to eat into your cap space. But they can basically sleepwalk to more than twenty five million dollars in room. They're not going to have to do much, if anything, assuming they use Embiid's eighteen point three million dollar hold to get. $30 million or more in, in wiggle room. And if right. they're able to trade someone like Jared Bayless and, and get rid of Jaleel Okafor, who doesn't make Sta- a lot Stauskas of money. Stauskas is coming off the books, too. Right. You, well, I'm, I'm not including his hold. I'm just okay. assuming they're his, he's like on the books for $12 million before he signs a new deal. I'm going to assume they renounce that. And if you get rid of – if you just wash off Jaleel Okafor, $6.3 million in the season after next, if you maybe – you can get rid of Jared Bayless, I would think, pretty easily at $8.6 million in 2018, 2019 – then all of a sudden you start getting into territory of $40 million or more space. Uh, I, I'm just – I wonder how the Sixers play this. I guess it's – a lot of people think that the renegotiate and extend is a formality, and you could probably lock him up, I would think, at a decent rate now to add on to his salary. And, and again, if you put pencil him in for, let's say, 12 or $13 million a year, the Sixers are still going to have a pretty clear path to getting – Thirty yeah. million dollars a room. They'll probably have to lop off a contract. But again, I'm factoring in like part of these projections, and I went through them in detail in one of the articles I just more wrote. So if it seems like I'm running all over the place, I'm really not. <laughs> it's you have to factor in those pick holds. Is yeah. one their own pick isn't going to be worth that much, right? Like if we're going to assume, like if maybe two million dollars at most, it feels like. And then the Lakers' selection. They're probably not gonna have just be like, uh, or or maybe they will. So if you factor that in, like it's just so there's th- th- that's a little bit wonky into the room. But even when you put in for like maximum capacity on those draft picks, like if for some reason they ended up with the number one and number two overall selections, uh, it, they would still be able to get twenty five plus million dollars in room. And I I think that flexibility is interesting to them to where they would prioritize it within a ROCO, renegotiate and extend, where if the price is a little bit too high, they might just say, well, we're going to let this ride and retain your bird rights into the summer. Would you agree that it's – so there's a balancing act here, right, that they either want to – between wanting to renegotiate and extend him before free agency – and so he's locked up, and then the risk, of course, is if you don't do that – he can walk, and some team can offer him the earth. Whether that happens or not, obviously, is dictated by who has cap space and who's willing to spend. But I would frankly rather enter with a, a smaller amount of spending room and keep him locked up. Oh, for, I, I mean, would, especially if you're going to get him at TJ Warren money. That, because if you— I think, the, honestly, I think he deserves a little more than that, but I think that's probably the range we're talking about. If, we, if I mean, TJ Warren got, what, four for 50? 52 four four and 50 i mean if he's gonna get if things start to get i mean if he wants tim hardaway jr money because we have to say that then the, you the might... knicks, any deal the knicks give anyone should be uh used as the exception and not the uh the, yeah, rule. the knicks 
legitimately acted like it was the summer of 2016 while the market <laughs> around them was crumbling. And to make matters worse, this wasn't a situation where they thought that, oh, we need to get this done early because all these teams are going to give them this money. That, that was like days, and we saw what the market happened. So they treated it like 2016 free agency. But that's a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. Ro- Robert Covington, <laughs> if he's going to cost you – more than Joe Ingles' money, or maybe a little bit more. I think that's. I think that's probably his range. If it's four and fifty-two, or and it's I would go the a Tony, little bit higher. The Tony Snells, the Ingles, the Warren. Yeah, like if he's going to be, I in, think he's unequivocally a better player than Warren. I don't think that's really up for uh, debate. But, you know what? I don't know but, that I would say he's a more valuable player than Joe Ingles either. I mean, Joe. The verdict might still be. No, I think. I think. So we'll I see think, if would you say if the that? Sixers were a playoff team, Covington would get the same kind of, I won't say national love because Ingles is not on that level, but like the Any sort uh, of the, dar- the underappreciated darling of basketball Twitter. And I understand he's already kind of on the fringe of that conversation. The, but The only thing you need to do is win basketball games for that to happen, and it will. So if the Sixers win basketball games, it's going to happen. Like that's right. just without that's without a question in my mind. And I think I would go a little bit higher – um, because he's younger than Joe Ingles, uh, who is who's fairly old. He's nearing. I th- How old is Joe Ingles? I think he's like twenty nine. Is he going to be thirty soon? Is he Joe Ingles is twenty nine? Yeah. So he turns. He just turned twenty, or he's going to turn thirty on October second. So J- Robert Covington is younger. I'm not. Yeah. If I wouldn't, I'm not saying they should. But if he ends up with four and sixty. It wouldn't stun. Would it not stun. It wouldn't. I wouldn't look at that and be like, "Oh, they should have waited." But if it's going to go beyond that, where you're going to move a few million dollars beyond the Joe Ingles territory, um, one, the Sixers they can create some cap space, but they only have a finite. If they're going to up his, like, they only have a finite number of cap space to work with right now. I think they can get up to fifteen million dollars in room uh, pretty easily as of this moment. So th- there's that to consider. But if, if that's going to be his range, if he's going to soak up your maximum available cap space that you're going to have anyway right now, or if he's going to cost you uh, in that range, I think you just do it now so that you know that this is the number you're working with leading into next summer. Yes, there's a chance he could either cost you the same while having that minuscule cap hold next year, but there's also a chance that someone could come in over the top. Just be- it's not it, The Sixers aren't the team that you just want to spite. They're not the Warriors where we're going to pay overpay Andre Godala because we want to try and get him out of there just to hurt them in some way, shape, right. or form. But teams want wings. He's a youngish wing. He can play the three or the four. He can defend twos, threes, and fours and, and some point guards. Uh, th- that risk is there, especially if he's going to come in around actual NBA talent, shoot 37 38% from three, uh, and really just be that – that bouncy sometimes shot blocker for the wings and, and just lock people up within the pick and rolls and, and really just deflect balls and wreak havoc on the defensive end. Just someone could come in a lot higher. So I think that's the range where if you can get it done this year, you have the cap space to renegotiate. You, you might as well just do it. And okay, here's my other question. This is a good segue. Say they enter. Okay. So they have the cap space going into next summer and you're saying it's in a range of what? If likely in a range of they're gonna, they should be able to without too many gymnastics get to max cap space. Okay. Like it's it's gonna Here, happen. Here's my thing. I was looking at next summer's free agents. I don't think there are who. Okay, who's the biggest target they can realistically land? You can count out Paul George. You can count out uh, what 
why am I blanking on this? Chris Paul. We could probably count out. Le- would you count out LeBron James? I don't know. Clutch get, sports, okay, we can. Okay, the LeBron thing is going to be there all year, and I, I would love to think that they have a realistic shot at getting him. They, my, the, the scenario I keep coming back to is maybe Rich Paul. You know how Rich Paul, without LeBron, took a meeting with the Suns in 2014. Yeah, to do them that a solid the and like raise their profile a little with other free agents. Okay, maybe he does that because Simmons is one of his clients. And he does them a solid, but I it's I wouldn't bank on it. We can deal with the noise all season. I would like I'm, I'm going to joke about it on Twitter all year, and I'm going to have a lot of fun with it. But it's it's not a likely outcome. Um, okay, so that leaves them with who are their targets? Like they've said they want to bring Reddit back, Reddick back long term, and that they did the one year deal in the best interest of maintaining flexibility. But Colangelo was very frank, and so was Reddick, that he wants to end his career there. He doesn't want to move around anymore. He doesn't really want to deal with free agency. But did you, you ever think we'd be at the point where someone was talking about in the year 2017 how they want to end their career with the Sixers who did not already play for the Sixers? That's um, yeah, I mean, no. Exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't need <laughs> to be I was a star, stunned when they he... traded. I was stunned when they traded for JaVale McGee in 2015 that he didn't say that but <laughs> i mean look if you want to bring and it doesn't you know we're talking about this in the context of like stars they don't yeah. need to no they up. don't they might have three they right. might have three so, like, stars is it, is it is it the worst thing in the world if that cap space you know you re-sign jj reddick because you want him on a two or three year deal but there's a, a guy like avery bradley would be i would that was the next guy i was gonna say or caldwell pope or like one of those guys no, bradley Look at their, Bradley like, would be fantastic, right, frankly. Yeah, like two of three of those guys. If you walk in with J.J. Redick and either KCP or Avery Bradley, like that, even what like Will Barton is going to be on the market, although the Nuggets are talking an extension with him. I think they understand how valuable he is. There will be yeah. like these quality role player names that you should be able to go after. And it doesn't. And Lord be- knows they do not need to target bigs. Like I, <laughs> they just don't. So Greg Monroe is what you want them is who you want them to sign. Maybe some Derek mm-hmm. Favors. Yes, we need older Jaleel Okafor. So you, you, so then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you go after Trevor Ariza? Uh, do you need to? I, I, no, he's not probably Houston not. Chris probably Boston, not. But... He seems a little redundant too with Covington well, there. This, now we have to. I get mean, here. we have to get here now because now that we're talking about, you know, we're using. You want to bring Reddick back? You're throwing Trevor Ariza. I want to bring Reddick back because he's already become a. Fa- he's already just. He's one of those guys who understands that if you praise the city of Philadelphia. As like a top class sports town, which he did at Media Day, and sings the praises of everything else in the city and what and the culture and whatever people love you. I've, I'm already in love. <laughs> I mean that's fair, and he's also a very good podcaster. Also, a tremendous haircut. Yes, dude, I I would have <laughs> went there too. So <laughs> to to put a bow on these, so, so I guess really one, we're both in favor of they should just renegotiate and extend yes. Covington sooner than later. I'd rather eliminate the risk and just having to deal with competing with other teams. And, and B, it, I think we're both really in agreement to where it almost doesn't matter what happens in the sense that if you're re-signing him, it's because you got a discount off of what it's. Yes. If you're re-signing him now, it's because you got a discount. And, and if, if you don't, like summer. you were prepared to work with that cap hold anyway, yes. and you still have a ton of space. Exactly. Um, I, the question I guess I want to get to before I get to what their record's going to be, Jaleel Okafor on the team, by the trade deadline or not, is this going to be the year they finally get an out down? <laughs> I would like to say yes, or I would like to say no, he's not on the team. However, but what is realistically the deal they can swing for him? 
They and and let's be clear, this isn't the season. This team isn't in the uh, in the business anymore of showcasing him for trades. They're they don't have minutes to burn like that. They have minutes to give to actual guys who are deserving of them. Right. Embiid, Holmes, Amir Johnson. Okay, roll those guys out at the five. But to say we're going to showcase him for a trade. And listen, he appears to be in really good shape. He's vegan now, which he has not stopped talking about since <laughs> since the summer started. And he does appear to have shed a lot of weight. And maybe he'll be more mobile. But I'm still very skeptical that he can do there's, any there's, – there's no, no way he there's is – There's no question more, he still has value on the offensive end. Like, let's he has just, value he, offensively, but he doesn't have value to this team offensively because he's not decisive diving to the rim. He's also and not he's not effective with the ball. And, and he's not that good of a – Right, and he's not – and he's just not very good without the ball in his hands. He doesn't have a lot of value. At least Rishon Holmes knows what he's there for. And Rishon Holmes can step out and hit a three from time to time. Now, if the Pacers so, weren't all of a sudden saddled with so many bigs, um, I would say he would be a nice Al Jefferson replacement in the second unit. But uh, It would be such a trip to see them both on the same team. Yeah, especially on a team that also, you know, forget about Miles Turner, you have Demantis Sabonis. Can, this is this is what I keep coming back to. Is there a single team you can point to that really needs to trade for him? Needs to know, and I Would think— Would want to? Like, okay, maybe do the Bulls, the Bulls take a flyer on him just he's from Chicago? I know the Bulls just re-signed Felicio, but, like, Robin Lopez isn't that great of a post player. I actually did right. not like that, that, like that deal for— Cristiano Felicio, I thought that like four and thirty-two. It's not a huge number, but that came a little too early, in my opinion. May, you know, maybe you give them to the Bulls and they can give them some run at center. And you here's just, my here's would you my take other back question: Justin Holiday in December? Would, would they give them Justin Holiday? <laughs> this is the thing I'm saying. Who I was. This is honestly what I was just thinking. Do you have to sweeten a package with Okafor with a second round pick? To get no, someone to take him, I'm de- like I just don't know what his no, value is. At, at They've seemingly point, been shopping him for two summers and have gotten nothing. You don't trade him if you <laughs> so need to. You, sweet. He's on a rookie scale contract. You don't trade him if you need to sweeten the pot. Like you don't need. He's gonna make. He comes off the books if you don't want to give him a qualifying offer. And you just let this right out in 2019. Like, he's certainly not getting a. But here's the thing: Are you even okay? Are you even Dude, you offering need to him? Sweeten the pot of an oak of. I, I'm That's dead. I, that wasn't said in jest either. I'm dead serious with that. But here's my other thing: he's he gets the restricted. Uh, he's due. Okay, he has a team option for six point three million dollars next season. Do you really want to pay that in the first place? That's fair. I really don't think you do. I'd rather have that money to spend. You already have so many bigs. And yeah, Amir Johnson's a free agent next summer, but you still have Embiid. Holmes, I would give home, I would renegotiate and extend Holmes well before I would do anything with Okafor. Like I I would seriously I don't know who they trade him to. I don't know what the package is. You're I don't think you're even getting a player back from. I think you're getting a second round pick. Which I, at this point, I guess you have to be fine with. I'm not Which sure if the Sixers fine. are fine with it. I don't it. care. It's a log jam. And, like, I honestly, for his sake, I would like to see him somewhere where he can get some run. This just isn't the situation for him. Right. It, and you would think that, or maybe maybe not, you wouldn't think this way, but, it, like, Brian Colangelo, like, now you get to point to, like, oh, well, you know, this is Hinky's sin. Like, he's the one who drafted him for and look what we had to do with him. We tried to hold out as long as possible, and get value for him but th- this is what happened that might be a good way to spend some goodwill in your favor maybe it's not i'm probably thinking too much into it like he'd be did julio Ford be maybe a fun backup in utah you know maybe julio Okafor. i would i'll okay i have obviously made fun of and had fun at his expense because he is has been supremely disappointing 
because of injuries and just his style of play isn't conducive to where the game is and the system the Sixers run. I would like to see him succeed somewhere. He seems like a really good kid, despite the stuff that happened his rookie year. He seems to have really shaped up. I'd like to see him do well somewhere. I mean, yeah. Is he better than as the backup? Is he better than Epe Udo, who's currently the back, or Jarebko or whatever? Yeah, but like, I mean, we're talking about, like, what do the Sixers want and what are the Jazz going to be willing to give him? It's just there's, you could, I could probably name, we could get to a half a dozen teams and be like, you know, he'd be a fun, ba- you know, he'd be a fun second unit backup on the right, Clippers but what for do you all get? I care. Or even on the Grizzlies. But now we're talking about a backup. Uh, he, you know, he'd be a very good Andre Drummond replacement in Detroit if you set up a three fourteen deal where you're finally jettisoning Andre Drummond. I have, okay, Drummond. I have a, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because you just said it. What would the drop-off be in Detroit if you replaced Drummond with him in the starting lineup? Drummond was a train wreck last year. I, I There would be drop-off <laughs> because Jaleel Okafor is not the rebounder Andre Drummond is. That's but right. I, I guess a historically can, bad rebounder. At the same time, maybe that just leaves more. Avery Bradley is a good defensive rebounder. Tobias Harris, that leaves more for them. I think the drop-off would come— uh, because we know at least Drummond can work in the pick and roll, and we don't know that Julio Okafor can necessarily than, do that. That's more than fair. But um, if that's you're going to give these guys post touches and try and drive it down your throat, then you know Okafor might be the, the better fit. But also Andre Drummond, he, he has a better chance of, of recapturing like his mojo as a, as a rim protector. Than... Honestly, maybe the Nets in time take shot take a shot on him. I know they have Mozgov under contract. And they just drafted Jared Allen. And they have a billion wings, and I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson is going to play some center. I mean, I, yeah, they they're in experimental mode. Like if if it was a situation, so, but I don't think they would even give up Jared Allen for him. No, I don't either. You'd have to take like I don't even. know. If you could get Quincy Sean Kilpatrick for Julio Okafor, you do. It <laughs> oh, in a I heartbeat. would do that in a heartbeat. I you love could it. get Joe Harris for him. I might even do it in a heartbeat. So it's yeah. just it. Like I, I shouldn't say a heart, but like, but maybe like, what is his value around the league? I thought I, the Hawks might have been interesting. Um, before you get Deadman and resign Muscala, but you also have John Collins. We should play some fives for now. It's just you look, and it's it's what. And the one thing I'm sad we didn't get to in this podcast is Rachon Holmes. Is he? He's like I call him a baby unicorn. <laughs> he he. There are flashes. I know what you mean. Because he can do a little bit of everything, and it's just nothing is like too great. Like nothing it's just, is he's, that polished. He looks like and he's he should still be a great switcher, around. and he's not However, necessarily. His numbers last year in a small sample, and I don't want to. I mean, okay, I'll do this because it sounds awesome. But his per thirty six numbers last year per thirty six minutes, he averaged seventeen points, nine point four rebounds, one point seven blocks, and he shot thirty five percent from three on seventy seven attempts. That's not a big sample, but it's not a small sample either. either. Like, yeah, he was he. When he's he, he's good. He has value. So look at look at his numbers after the All Star break. What uh, when he was averaging almost so, twenty seven minutes per game, and he was so at after 13, the All Star break after Embiid went down. Yeah, thirteen point five points. Six, yeah, seven rebounds. Yeah, seven rebounds, and he shot fifty eight percent from the field, thirty four and a half percent from three. Uh, and his usage rate was basically the same. Is good because he averaged more than two attempts per game. Like, his offensive rating, clip. his offensive rating spiked fifteen points after the All Star break. Yeah, they were slaughtered with him defensively in that lineup, yes. and I think that's the. He's he looks undersized. Like, he looks like, but he still looks like he could be this great shot blocker, which might yes. be able to translate some rim protection. And he, you know what? Yes, he's undersized, but he, he, he again looks like he should be able to switch really well. And maybe with getting that more exposure, he'll have those defensive schemes down and know how to make the right off ball reads so that you don't need him to be this lockdown rim. You know protector. what he honestly is? 
He's just taller Jeremy Grant who can shoot. That's what he is, Whoa. right? He just yeah, a, he punches basketballs into the stands. He dunks but, harder than anyone else on more, the team. There's more finesse and polish to his game, though. There like is it, more finesse and it's polish. It's like Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy, Grant. Jeremy Grant driving to the <laughs> Jeremy Grant putting the ball on the floor is a very scary scene. <laughs> right. I honestly get really nervous every time it happens because you don't know Jeremy he might Grant fall also over. Shot, shot 37 plus percent from three with the Thunder last year on limited. Is he really? So wow. he's basically like Kyle. That Orver. makes me really happy. I didn't realize that, but um, wow, it's just unbelievable that literally everyone on earth is a better three point shooter than Andre Robertson. Um, oh, but he uh, shot 25.3 percent on wide open. If three. he cannot make more than like 35, okay, not 35, like 30. What did he shoot last year? Oh, who are we talking about now? Robertson. Robertson. On uh, the year. Not even on wide open shots. Just he it shot was right around it was the same. Half, his... He shot twenty four and a half percent on threes last year. If he cannot hit thirty percent of his threes on this team wait, with the space he is gonna be afforded wait, in the corners. <laughs> wait, go with me though. I mean maybe it's different because of the space he'll be afford, afforded in the corners, but the way teams defended the Thunder last year, and I talked about this with Fred Katz when he came on to to discuss yeah. the Thunder. They just again. They were just jam packed in the paint. What if now, because you're chasing around Melo and Paul George, and you're drawing guys outside of the paint, that his shot attempts all of a sudden get harder? And it's not like he's a good because now the guys are That's just closer possible. to you and the closeouts are easier. They're still going to leave you alone. But it's not like he had a ton of wide open looks last year anyway, and he shot twenty five point three percent on them. And he wasn't good from the corners. Almost half of his three point attempts came from the corners, and he shot under twenty three percent on those. So I don't even know if it's a situation where it's if if it's on this team. Like I don't know how much more wide open he's gonna get on this team. Like instead of a defender being within six feet of him, are they now fifteen feet away somehow because Melo and Paul George uh were on one side of the floor? I I, I don't know. But if he could shoot, he would be like he would he'd probably be a top twenty five, top thirty player if he could if shoot. If he could if he could shoot he'd be Robert Covington. If he could shoot, he'd probably be a higher-end Robert Covington. No, I'm, no, Robertson's defense is more valuable than Covington. DPO Well, now that we've um, gotten to the thunder part of the Sixers yeah, podcast. Yeah, we can, we can cut that tangent short. We've been um, running for like an hour. So what? What do you? Th- what is your best-case scenario for this team looking at their win totals and okay. where they'll finish in the East? And what will be your worst-case scenario for this team <laughs> uh, for the same context? And the thing that we're going to to just remind our dozen of listeners, dozens of listeners, or maybe five or six listeners, um, we're not – I think injuries come into play, but we can't look at it and just assume that, oh, Markel Fultz is going to tear his ACL because the Sixers are cursed. So that's not what we're factoring in with the worst-case scenario. Okay, I grappled with this, but the best. Ca- okay, so the Vegas over under for the Sixers win total is forty and a half. Last year, forty one was the eight seed. We can agree the East got worse over the summer. I mean, addition by subtraction. Mellow, Paul George. Yes, the East got better. And that right, that's what I'm referring kidding. to. No, no, okay. I was poor tongue, so, tongue in cheek. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> clearly, I haven't had enough coffee yet. Um. The best case for this team, if everything goes well, no major injuries, Embiid plays 60-some games, they win north of 41 games, I would say, like somewhere in the 43 range. That's the best case. They exceed expectations. They mesh quicker than expected, and they get the six or seven seed. That's my best case. The The worst case is Embiid gets catastrophically hurt again. They win fewer than 35 games. 
and everyone just spirals into depression, even if Simmons and Fultz are healthy. That's the worst case. What do you think? And they, don't, and they miss the I, – and he, honestly, if they miss the playoffs, that's not even a worst case for me. It's if they miss the playoffs and it's facilitated – that that backslide is facilitated by another big injury. So you think Embiid is still so – and I don't. I wouldn't disagree if you said yes. He's so indispensable to this team that even yes. if you get very yes. good performances from Simmons and Fultz – that There's they, they need the best, to make everything, playoffs. Everything hinges on him. Like I said, <laughs> the face of the team. Uh, that's fair. So what do you actually see them ending up with? Oh, and their uh, worst case scenario was what for wins for you? Did you say 35? Is I that said you? around like 35. That's like your somewhere. floor? Dude, yeah. That's my floor. That's an optimistic floor. It is, opinion. but we've established I'm not optimistic. I mean, okay, so they won what you, last you, you year? Know what? You, you and the rest of the Sixers nation, you, you deserve Which it. is fu- – I mean, listen, and I shouldn't be – okay. I would like to believe that I'm credible and you have made, made me credible by bringing me on. But I remember I wrote the Sixers preview for BR the year that Bynum was coming oh – was God. on the team. And I projected like in the high 40s. For, and I know I wasn't the only one on the internet who did that, but my God, that – oh, that – if you find that article, please just destroy me. I'll tweet it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't, um, I mean, everyone was there. That's just one of those situations. Where so, like... Okay, so they won 28 games last year. Uh, uh, yeah. Seven win improvement. Is that that hard? Look, they have Simmons, Fultz, Redick, Amir Johnson, another year of Saric, and Embiid. That is not that hard. I, I don't I, – so I think – the and, Knicks won 31 games last year. They can be four better than that. <laughs> like, I, come on. I think the Sixers are going to wind up with 38-39. With like, I think that that's what's going to end up. And I think that might be good enough to get them in the playoffs. And I do think they'll make the playoffs kind of, too, if it beats health. Like, there's just so many caveats with this team. I could see their floor being sub-35 around, you know, 33 32 like that's still an improvement over last year and you don't know what you're that would be I honestly think that would be a very very disappointing season if you're saying guys are healthy and they win 33 games no no that's not my optimistic projection if guys are healthy my optimistic projection for them would still be in the the low to mid 40s I just think they're gonna end up closer to the very high 30s early 40s 500 basketball or lower is where I I kind of that's what I settled on ultimately I think they win 40 or 41 games. I'm going to go. I'm gonna and be, they creep into the playoffs as like an eight seed. Yeah, I'm going to say 38, 39. Um, do you think that gets them into the playoffs? I do. But I think here's the, the upshot is that is the East so bad below the Cavaliers, um, below. And let's I'll throw the Celtics even in there, even though I think they're overrated. And I think you can make the case that both the Celtics and the Cavaliers will be worse, like got worse. Like this upcoming season, just by the way the rosters look, but the Cavs are going to have like bad out of hell LeBron, so he'll probably go for his fifth MVP. It's just below those two, and let's let's just use the top four as an example. So Raptors, Wizards, Celtics, Cavaliers. That's basically hammered out. Are uh, we are we so certain the Raptors are better than the Bucks? No, but uh, so again, let's just use the Celtics <laughs> and the Cavs. Is the East so bad that all these teams are just going to take a crap ton of wins? away from each other and that it, it takes a little bit more like the bad teams are going to be really bad still the Knicks especially yes. the Bulls the Hawks that this that we'll see like the magic we don't we have no idea what right. they are so but they it, seem to be a shoe going to take 43 horrible. wins again to get into the playoffs probably not so I think I if everyone's healthy the Sixers get into the playoffs I ultimately think they will get into the playoffs which means that I'm saying 38 or 39 is enough 
to secure that postseason slot. If 38-39 is not enough to get it, I think they'll win more than that because I do think they're yeah. going to be in the playoffs. I just don't want us to rush to anoint this team too quickly because even I'm, when Embiid I'm is— I'm the same way. Yeah, if Embiid is going to impl- play out of his mind, you're still dealing with two rookies in Simmons— and faults. You're still trying to find some sort of front court balance. You have to figure out the wing rotation. Uh, Reddick's fit will assume will be seamless. Uh, th- there's enough there to get to the playoffs and just say that they're going to get in. I just don't want us, you know, putting this at, at mid forties, like to say that this team would or contend for a five seed. Like you don't want to put saddle them with those expectations. Do we agree above the Sixers in the East? There's a clear hierarchy. So there's the Cavs, the Celtics, in one tier. Then no, there's a there's tier the Cavs. Like there, I okay. The, the, okay. There's the Cavs until further notice. There's the Cavs. Then there's the Celtics, Wizards, and Raptors. Do you want to say maybe in the one Bucks. tier? Maybe the Bucks, and then the Heat, Hornets, and Sixers. Maybe the Heat the and the Hornets there. and Sixers. And then I mean, yeah, the Pistons are a total. We're, I mean, we're gonna look at a situation because I do think. Last year's top four playoff teams are all shoe-ins, and that yes. goes for the Bucks. They're probably a shoe-in for a top five the spot. The Bucs are so a you, you have those top five spots up for grabs. I think we're going to have a situation where, where who's going to contend for those final three spots? The Heat, the Pistons, the Hornets, the Sixers. The Sixers. That's four teams. And what if the Pacers are just, like, mediocre, and that's mediocre is good enough to put you – so there will be four or five teams contending for those final three spots. I think the only surefire non-playoff teams in the East – right now are the Knicks, the Bulls, the Hawks, and maybe – I'm going to say the Magic, but just like the, the, they could be weird. But I'll, I'll say the Magic. So you have those four teams. Wait, you said the Knicks, Hawks, the Hawks, Bulls. The Bulls. So you're you're putting the Nets on the fringe. I, oh, I forgot about them. Yeah. Ah, I know. I, I want to like the Nets. There seems to be this – They're not a playoff sort team. Sort of like so near just, palpable yeah. buzz about people being like, you know, the Nets could be better than we think. And then obviously better than we think means like low 30s in wins and not – well, yeah. 20s, but so they th- will be fun. But yeah, no, I don't think they're there's in that same six five, or 20. Yeah, there's four to five teams in the East that just aren't going to make the playoffs. And maybe it is those five. But I it, I think you could argue if things break really right for the Nets or if they, the Magic just – they get up a, a burst from Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton and things start to click with the new sh- with the shooters that they have. And Simmons works. Maybe they could be in the fringes. Because if it's going to – if we're saying it's going to take – if you can get into the East with 37 – into the playoffs with 37 wins – you know, that's going to have 11 teams were at 36 or higher yeah. last year. So that's going to put a bunch of them in the mix. So uh, that that's going to be those three spots. It's going to be interesting to see how those shake out because we know that the first five are going to go to those five squads. Yeah, I'm right with you. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is our 2017-2018 Sixers podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It is probably our longest season preview yet, but there was a lot to discuss. Um, if you want to talk to Alec more about his Sixers takes, you can get at him on Twitter at Alec B as in boy Nathan, uh, spelled exactly like it sounds. You will also get a lot of uh, Taylor Swift takes, and uh, there's a lot of music. The sports takes are not that good. Which is why Bleach Report employs him to give you the bad sports takes. <laughs> Twitter's not a reflection of my professional skill set. It's more just like what I, I, I'm trying to avoid all the other garbage. It is the incoherent ramblings of a millennial who has wasted all his money on avocado toast and apparently, <laughs> per that cover, canned sardines. <laughs>
Um, if you want to talk to me on Twitter about this or yell at me, I can be found at Dan Favale. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy Bailey at Andrew D. Bailey, also spelled like it sounds. Please follow NBA Math, our host, on their official account at NBA underscore math. The Hardwood Knox podcast can be found at Hardwood Knox. Please go on iTunes, subscribe, give us a rating, reviews, good or bad. We just want to hear your feedback. Um, Since Andy is not here, I don't have to give a shout-out to a certain someone that really should not be getting these random shout-outs anymore. So until next time. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. I never planned on losing my job, but we all know life can change in an instant. And losing my family's health insurance was an even tougher pill to swallow. So I looked into Cobra, but too pricey. Then I found out I could enroll through Covered California, where I was able to choose from good health insurance companies I've actually heard of. I even got help paying for it. There's a limited time to qualify after losing your insurance, so check out CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.